Welcome back. Now, this is going to be part two of the drug war, which we sort of talked about last week. Again, we're fighting against hate. Uh, again, my name is Eric McCoy. Welcome back to Walk a Mile in My Shoes. And of course, I got Lona Curry with me. That's right. I'm Lona Curry. And thanks again for coming and helping to take this journey with us through, through healing of humanity by really understanding and while Eric and I talk so much about it being a fine line, you know, the only agenda that we have bringing you this show is to have more understanding about some of the things that we kind of stand for in ways that maybe we're just going off of a blind faith, so to speak, or, or blind listening. But it's, it's, it's really great, the dynamic here, what Eric does by going and really diving deep and showing history and bringing out logic to this show is just amazing to me. And so I thank you all for our new listeners. Do all that cool YouTube stuff, like, subscribe, and do all that stuff. Most of all, let us hear from you so that we can walk a mile in your shoes. So I'm looking forward to this one, Eric. I'm looking forward to this part two. Me too, definitely. get into the heart of this thing and keep going with it. Yes. And, you know, hate has no place in America. But I will say that because we are realists in a, in a certain aspect, it's not going away. But hopefully we can help reduce it a little bit and get Absolutely. people to sort of understand. So I want to actually begin with a wonderful statement by our ex-president, Donald Trump. And as I told you guys, we are not agenda based. Right. Take a look at this. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. Hatred warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul. Best thing he's ever said, hands down. Only thing I think that I have ever heard a full sentence make complete and utter sense. Now, whether he truly believed that or not is up for debate. But, you know, he's saying he's really talking about the truth. People don't realize how much their own hatred destroys them from the inside out. And what I love about even visiting these topics is how much of that hatred lives within that people don't even realize lives within them. Whether he believed it or not, at least he said it. He did. He did. And it was convincing. Yes. And it was right on target. Right on target. Okay. So I want to take a step back to begin and explore the Constitution, especially since COVID has presented some very interesting arguments that aren't specifically to drugs, but can easily be interpreted in that direction. And this is what I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about today in terms of how our drug war violates our constitution. And I want to kind of mm. get people to understand this. I had started a, originally I'd kind of done another show mm -hmm. that we ended up sort of morphing into this, which I'm very excited mm -hmm. about. And so it's actually a little bit closely related to what I had done on that show um, because that's what I did. I broke down the constitution and how our drug war violates it and uh, literally destroys it in, in every aspect. So yeah. I want to show you a quick video again, but this one's kind of ironic and it's a little bit comical, 
um, because it's a little bit conflicting. But this is Ted Cruz of Texas, and he's going to give us a little conflicting arguments. Take a look at this. I also believe in individual liberty and responsibility. I think you're able to make that decision for yourself. You're able to look at the cost-benefit analysis and make a choice. And I think talking about legalizing all narcotics, I, I think that is profoundly right. dangerous and, it, and, it, and it, it doesn't represent the interest of Texans. But, but the left doesn't believe in individual responsibility. They don't believe in individual choice. They want the government to mandate you must obey. And so they believe you don't have a right to make a choice for yourself. And I will say, as a member of Congress, he introduced legislation that would make it easier for those with drug convictions to get driver's licenses. I think that, that that's a real mistake, and it's part of a pattern. You're anti-government control because we think it leads to perhaps the next lockdown or the next mandate, the climate change mandate or the racial justice mandate or whatever the next mandate is. Because... You so, start a pattern and, and, and people you, start bowing down it, to it. I think it would be a profound mistake to legalize all narcotics and it would hurt the children of this country. That would be a serious mistake. They believe in government power and they don't control care freaks. about your individual freedom. Yeah, yeah, it's about control. And Senator, you yep. stated it very eloquently. Thank you so much. Good to see you tonight. <laughs> How far can you go back and forth on your argument, right? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I mean, one of those things that just slaps you across the face, like like both times, you know, like just back and forth. Back it's and a little forth. confusing. It's very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? I'm still wondering how what how past drug convictions and a driver's license is dangerous. That's and, what I that's um, what that was one of my favorite. <laughs> right. If you have a drug conviction, you can't get a driver's license. <laughs> but we don't want government control. We don't right. want the government to control us. What's the next thing they're going to do? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the United States of America has a constitution that I think is, again, highly misunderstood. Very and it's used like and Bible. it's misused by our citizens to either Just manipulate like through agendas, it shows hypocrisy within parties, and or remains ignorant, I think, to a lot of Americans. Absolutely. You know, as someone who is, again, fighting the stigma of substance abuse, I wanted to explore something that is related to last week's episode a little bit. Are our drug laws even allowed within the Constitution? You know, where in the Constitution does the federal government find the power to ban or regulate drugs? So in 1920, right, as we talked about the Volstead Act, mm -hmm. and we, of course, went through that last week when they wanted to, of course, ban alcohol, they passed a constitutional amendment. Now, they still didn't have the right to ban what you consume, which is why it actually was not banned to drink. They only mm -hmm. ban the manufacture, the sale, and the transportation of alcohol. But we've never passed a constitutional amendment granting the federal government any power to ban marijuana or cocaine or any other drugs out there. You know, so with, with all the fighting for rights to not wear a mask or the anti-vaxxers, right, refusing to get vaccinated because they have the right to choose. 
right? Where are these screamers regarding your right to choose or not choose to do drugs? Absolutely. It is a choice. Yes. You know, people have rights that our government cannot violate. You know, Thomas Jefferson defined them as the rights of life, the liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? We have the right and the responsibility to make important decisions about our own lives. You know, Ted Cruz said what he said, and yes, I, it wasn't about drugs, but your right to choose what you do with your body. Right. And, and that one literally kind of made my head spin a little. <laughs> Especially like coming out of Texas. At this Absolutely. Point, you, know? <laughs> you know, the First Amendment of the Constitution, right, says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, speech or press or the right of the people to peaceably to assemble um, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Right. This amendment is violated in so many ways by our drug laws, beginning with religion. What does religious Mm. freedom actually mean? Mm. Not much, unless you Mm. practice the right religion. Right, right. You know, what if we said that Catholics and Christians can no longer use wine as they break the bread? A lot of people would flip out, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, here's Trump stating how important this is. And again, he's fighting for us. All right. All right. Today, with one clear voice, the United States of America calls upon the nations of the world to end religious persecution. to stop the crimes against people of faith, release prisoners of conscience, repeal laws restricting freedom of religion and belief, protect the vulnerable, the defenseless, and the oppressed. America stands with believers in every country who ask only for the freedom to live according to the faith that is within their own hearts. As President, protecting religious freedom is one of my highest priorities and always has been okay <laughs> thank you trump yes, sir. once again once again now you may ask why i brought this up right well here lies the greatest problem native americans okay have long used hallucinogens as religious yep. rights and have risked penalties under federal law for the peaceful exercise of their religion Now, this brings us to a fundamental incompatibility between the First Amendment and this fantastic drug war. Absolutely. So under the American Indian Religious Freedom Restoration Act, that was enacted in 1994. Okay, American Indians can use peyote because it's part of their religion. But the U.S. government today still attempts to control this freedom that they were given. Right. Or honestly, I could say we were given or it should have been we. Right. Yeah. So here's what's fun. Here's what's interesting. So a United States Supreme Court was analyzed. They analyzed um, a religious group's use of psychedelic plant under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993. Okay, so that case said the United States must show compelling interest 
for prohibiting the importation and use of psychedelic substances for sincere religious purposes. So in that case, the government failed to meet that burden, right? So this opened the door for religious groups to claim, um, you know, religious exemptions to the Controlled Substance Act. Of course, that was enacted by Nixon, right? Now, after this was decided, the DEA jumped in, okay? And they published an interim guidance that was in 2009. And it was apparently in response to an increase in requests for religious exemptions. (laughs) (laughs) So the DEA, they they categorized the interim guidance as in a quote, it was kind of quote unquote as an interim measure. Though it still guides religious exemption petitioners Mm. 11 years later. (laughs) And they noted that the interim guidance merely provided guidance to petitioners. Though in reality, okay, and this is reality, it published what is effectively a licensing process that places all kinds of burdens on the people that are seeking this religious example. Okay, so they have to they have to provide detailed written information about their religious beliefs and the nature that the DEA can presumably analyze to determine if that belief right. was a religious belief. And if it's actually sincere, I was going to ask who gauges sincerity, like who gets to decide sincerity, the DEA, (laughs) the DEA. (laughs) And so in doing this, the DEA established its own criteria for what is and is not a course of religion and what is and is not sincere. Of course they did. (laughs) So for peyote users to be jailed because they don't believe in a spiritual dimension. Right, is sort of a de facto government endorsement and granted privilege for some religious groups and not for others. Mm-hmm. So if it can conceivably be allowed for some, then it must constitutionally be allowed to everyone because everyone's supposed to be treated the same. And they're supposed to be. Yet they're for peyote users, of course, to be jailed, again, despite their religious liberty, is to be religious or not religious. So the only way to reconcile the religious liberty with this federal drug law is to abolish it altogether. You have to. Yeah. Why can yeah. some use it and others cannot? Right. If, I, if I'm, you know, our constitution, right, you have the right to be religious, but you have the right to not be religious also. So if you're not religious, then obviously you're not able to do that. Exactly. You are, but of course, only under the standards of the DEA. Absolutely. (laughs) So if we don't, if we don't run you out with the ridiculous amount of paperwork and, and, you know, stuff you're going to have to do to even get it there, then we're going to find other ways. So it's, it's, you know, as, as a person, as a trans human being, a part of the LGBTQ plus community for since I'm 19 years old, you know, this is the same argument that has been had with the Constitution and America this entire time. When who gets to choose, yeah. you know, what right and, and, and who then decides who doesn't 
and and who does i i heard a comedian talk about and this is completely off subject but it's right on subject mm-hmm. i heard a comedian making fun of how southwest airlines is now going to charge fat people two tickets and his, his very question was who gets to decide who's too fat and who has <laughs> to pay two tickets now i'm asking this very question who gets to decide who's religious enough and who's not well and who it's, gets to decide this constitution, where it works out, and for whom it does not? Yeah, and it's the very organization that um, that raids people and busts people and takes drugs and all that kind of stuff. So absolutely, they're the ones that get to control this, and they build the stigma with with all of this is their platform is huge. They begin to build this negative stigma that that people like yourself and myself and many others fight on a daily basis as in being recovery. And what is the first thing that you start to build to build a stigma is responsibility. Uh, and and that's basically, you know, in a way, and, and this is why it's so, this is why I appreciate what we're doing here because there's so much that's right under the surface that people don't ever see. And there should be a question that we ask ourselves, and this is the question, do we believe that drug abuse and mental health are a choice? And these are the same organizations with the DEA and, and their, their ability to, to write the criteria for this constitution. How much of, of all of this have they now put out into the public and how much of it do we believe over years of programming? And when we make something a choice, we automatically think differently about it. You know, the same questions come up for users. Why can't you just stop? Same with mental health, you know, mental health issues. Why can't you just snap out of this? Mm-hmm. That's where stigma is born. Absolutely. And if they can't win by completely cutting this out, well, we will come with another agenda, we will come around the back way and vilify this. I mean, the, the, the American Indians were vilified from the get go anyway for, you know, just being who they were so that, that there's still so much of that stigma in being, I'm an American, American Indian, um, almost three quarters. There's Mm. still a lot of stigma that goes with, with just being American Indian in this country. You might be able to use peyote then. Uh, maybe not though, because you may, may need to be a hundred percent. Who knows? You know, well, probably 110% <laughs> because there'll be a loophole Yes, and I'll get tired before yeah. I continue to write all the essays and stuff you got to prove. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I won't be able to get it because I just won't give it the time. Yeah. But very interesting, man. Very interesting information. Well, and if you go back to, you know, what, what also is very disturbing, you go back to the Harrison Narcotics Act, right? Mm-hmm. 1914, where, you know, they basically said that, oh, you can prescribe heroin and you can prescribe cocaine, but not to addicts, though. So they yeah. get to determine, you know, who is the one that gets these substances. The yes. federal government determines that. And every time that a, that a doctor prescribed to an addict, they went to prison. Well, and we're still, we're still with, I mean, this, this is, brings us to that perfect moment of what I experienced this week, because we are still living as far away from that as we are. 
we still have, you know, medical professionals that are living under that paradigm, that old thought process. They don't know they're not going to go to prison necessarily because we don't convict them like we convict, you know, Joe Black selling on the street corner. But you will when once a, a medical professional makes a decision about you for whatever reason, because he doesn't have to tell you what it is that tipped him off or what he is thinking. Anytime he decides your medical care from that moment, once that goes in your record from there on out. So I'm clean eight years and not only just clean and in recovery for eight years, I'm out loud and proud to be in recovery and I'm very upfront and honest. As we know, that's part of a recovery program. Absolutely. But just this past month, in fact, I've been fighting it. You know, I have a doctor who's my medical doctor and also covers my hormone therapy. Well, it comes time for lab work to be done. There's a mistake made in the computer about my medication and how much I'm supposed to be taking. So when I call for a refill, the red flags go off. I'm calling too soon. Mm -hmm. So immediately we don't take a look at anything else. Nobody else could have made a mistake. It must be the addict that we never knew as an addict. We've only known this person as absolutely 100% honest, clean in recovery. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to hold this necessary medication hostage until this person comes in and gives us what we want. Mm -hmm. As yep. if this, as if I would not be coming in, you know, this is not a medication that you just, okay, I'm done. You know, I'm done. Yep. I'm not going to go this. I'm going to skip this. Yep. It's not like that has nothing to do with addiction, but because that is in my record. This is how you're going to be treated. And it's why so many people in both active addiction don't go to the doctor. I mean, how many of them do you know that go to the doctor on a regular basis? And then number two, when they get in recovery, there's so much trauma that goes into going to a medical professional anyway. Right. Because the likelihood is you're going to be treated sub human. Well, you are, you know, when I went to in 2014, after my relapse, you know, after my six month, I had Kaiser insurance. And I remember going mm -hmm. to the hospital or where I was supposed to go to request to get, you know, them to fund me for my treatment through my insurance mm -hmm. company. And I remember walking in the door and you know, I'm all sucked up. I looks like crap, you know, easily look like a crazy tweaker. Yeah. And I remember going in there telling them that, look, I need to get into treatment. And I remember this lady walking out and her response to me, you know, you're not going to get drugs. That's like <laughs> literally what she said to me, you know, and I was, and all I could think was, I don't need fucking drugs. I got yeah. drugs. Yeah. You know, drugs ain't hard. I mean, but it's that negative, angry, you know, uh, response that you get from people. That you almost, you know, I literally almost wanted to say, you know what, fuck you, you know, and then yeah. just walk out, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, I didn't. And, uh, you know, I did get into treatment and, and, you know, obviously I'm doing very well today. Absolutely. But it just, it, it really makes me think about 
how many people out there get that response and do turn around and go, you know what? Fuck you. And they leave. Absolutely. 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 Because how many times, you know, we know that addiction is a disease of shame. You're already shaming yourself as because, you know, your, your moral compass has to be, you know, compromised in order to feed this addiction. Mm -hmm. And now you're trying to, you know, do what it is that you know you need to do to make yourself better. That's number one is a courageous step to take for anybody who may listen to this show. If you're thinking about taking that step or have taken that step, bravo, because that's a courageous step to take. And for far more than the healing process and the pain you're about to go through, through the detox, you know, process and all of that, the healing process, Mm -hmm. but it's courageous because you know, and I know you're going to walk through many different attitudes that are going to go back to this stigma that has been created through all the very things we've been talking about. Cause these, what, what we're talking about right now, what Eric shared so well are the roots to this, stigma. You know, we talk about the stigma today. This show is talking to you about the roots where it's born. Yes. Yes. You can't kill any weed or any disease without getting to its roots. And how many people, I would ask this too, of of people that hear this show and, and, and maybe don't identify with having an addiction problem, but I would ask you to check yourself in how you feel when someone walks into a doctor's office or when you see somebody on the street, it's got an obvious drug problem. What does that feel inside of you? Yep. What's that mindset? Absolutely. Now I want to, I want to go to the second part of this first amendment of speech, freedom Mm. of speech. Mm. Now, whether you agree or disagree with what I'm about to say, I'm strictly fighting for, and again, I'm arguing the violation of our Bill of Rights. Right? For years, you know, politicians have wanted to censor us, right? using the drug war as an excuse. Mm. And probably the most notable example was Senator Feinstein and Hatch's proposed <laughs> Methamphetamine Anti-Proliferation Act, which in its original language outlawed speech. Okay, that advocated drug use or production and cracked down on websites that merely linked to sites that sold drug paraphernalia. So what does freedom of speech actually mean? I should be able to say anything I want, right? Especially if there's no direct correlation of harm to another person. Right. Now, I have such an issue with this with this freedom of speech and working in the substance abuse industry, you know, we basically always tell people and it literally is, is about this, you know, we believe in confidentiality. It's very, very important unless you say you're going to hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. Right. Then we're going to put you in a lock, lock you in a hospital. We're going to call the police. You'll have charges filed against you. Blah, 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 blah. Yep. (laughs) Yep. These types of laws also really bother me because Maybe if I start hearing things from people, maybe I'll say, whoa, maybe this person has a problem. Maybe Mm -hmm. I could reach out and help this person, but they're not going to say that. And they're not going to talk about things because it could put you in jail. 
We could put you yep. in a hospital. It did me in jail. Now I want to show you guys a really great video of a very well-known example of somebody that was arrested on federal charges, not for drugs, but drug paraphernalia. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Tommy Chong. <laughs> right. Take a look at this. Here's how I broke the law. It was, there's not against the law to have paraphernalia in California. Right. But it's against the law in Pennsylvania to ship a bong across the state line. Then you're breaking postal law. You're breaking federal law. Uh, they would phone up and say, we want you to send, and we would tell them, or uh, the company would say, no, we can't send it to you because you're in, in a, you know, no, no bong zone, you know? <laughs> 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 and so they ordered all these bongs, you know, and whoever they talked to, which was probably an agent, and I suspect they put a, a, an undercover agent into the factory, said okay, and then they shipped it. They, they broke the law. That's the only way they got me. In the indictment read that I should go to jail because I made movies that depicted law enforcement agents in a non-flattering manner. <laughs> yes. So he got arrested for mailing glass. Wow. wow. I mean, it wasn't even drugs. With no resin, no nothing, yeah. blown glass. And so Art. the funny part, so it was, it was U.S. Attorney Mary Bukeman that prosecuted him. Right? Chong pleaded guilty in U.S. District Court 2003, I think it was, to a charge of conspire. Uh, it was conspiracy to sell drug paraphernalia. Right. So, and supposedly, and sort of what he was talking about is investigators sort of duped the workers at his family company, which is called mm -hmm. Chong Glass, into, and they were Chong Bongs, shipping <laughs> <laughs> several bongs to an undercover shop in Beaver County as part of a crackdown on head shops. And this is sort wow. of, yeah. and this was in Western Pennsylvania by Bukeman's office. And the wonderful DEA, right? So Chong's indictment stated that he was targeted in part for, quote unquote, okay, from the, the indictment, glamorizing illegal distribution and use of marijuana and noted, right, the 1978 movie Up in Smoke, of course, which was the first one. Favorite one. Favorite one. Chong, Chong right? Yep. So... He was pushed for freedom of speech, of course, making a movie. I thought you could say anything you wanted, but obviously it, it pissed them off. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. And so, and then it wasn't even drugs. This had nothing to do with drugs. Yep. It was glass. I mean, how do you, you know, California used to always have this law that, you know, you can go to head shops, you know, you can, you can buy glass pipes that, you know, we used to, used to smoke meth in, um, mm -hmm. you know, they'd sell bongs, but as long as you never said yep. marijuana for tobacco use only and who the fuck smokes tobacco out of those right. things, <laughs> right. right? but it goes back to the, you just can't <laughs> say it. There are things that you cannot say. Freedom right. of speech. I thought I could say anything I wanted. I mean, you can buy the anarchist cookbook, right? Which shows you how to make bombs. Yeah. But you can't 
tell anybody how to make meth or to, right. you know, do, you know, cook up, cook up the DMT, yeah. you know, properly into a, right. you know, the mix that you drink. Um, right. So as long as you don't say those things, there's no freedom. Well, do, free, you know, again, well, freedom of speech. What does it mean? What does it even mean? And again, we got to stand on either side and decide who decides who gets it and who doesn't, you know, and it, it really causes me when we go down this rabbit hole, it really takes me down the rabbit hole of the, you know, the, the refusal to see anything that may be natural like marijuana that could possibly have health benefits in that, you know, we got to sell pharmaceuticals. We got to sell pharmaceuticals. And so I feel like as far as the marijuana issues go, that that has a lot to do with, you know, big money, big pharma and how we're going to do things. But, you know, the, the inability for rights for every human being to have the same constitution and have the same rights. It's almost been a farce in this country for, you know, I guess as long as we've had free black people, because we all know they don't get the same rights. You know, they've got a separate, some kind of separate bill that nobody knows about, that they don't even know about. But, you know, when we're telling the story of Mr. Chong, you know, and we talked about this a minute ago, the very first time ever that I went to jail, I called because I was going to, I was suicidal suicidal, completely suicidal, and went to jail for three days. But as they asked me to come outside and and talk to the ambulance driver about what hospital I wanted to go to, immediately they then walked into my house through the door and back to my bedroom and found a keychain that was a little bitty one-hitter pipe. It was a novelty. It wasn't even real. Um, I don't even think you could have smoked out of it. It was a novelty and ended up charging me. That's what helped them charge me to be able to give me a charge, make money for court costs and stay in jail for not only the 72 hours, but for a month after that, trying to make bail on a paraphernalia charge. But they don't, we don't, they, they, they bet on us not having the money to go and fight these rights charges because I don't know my rights as a, you know, a young American person. I think it's very important that we educate our youth greatly on their constitutional rights so that they can begin to see where they're being violated every single day. Absolutely. And article one of the constitution, right? It defines the things that the legislative branch has the ability and the duty to do, right? So Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. But all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States. Mm. And everything is supposed mm. to be the same. Right now, for people to understand the conflict with our drug policy, we have to refer to the Tenth Amendment, and Trump is going to explain the Tenth Amendment here. Oh, goody! President of the United States has the authority to do what the president has the authority to do, which is very powerful. The president of the United States 
calls the shots. If we weren't here for the states, you would have had a problem in this country like you've never seen before. We were here to back them up, and we back it. We've more than backed them up. We did a job that nobody ever thought was possible. It's a decision for the President of the United States. Now, with that being said, we're going to work with the states because it's very important. You have local governments. They're pinpointed. It's really, you talk about, it's a, like a microchip. They're pinpointed. We have local government that hopefully will do a good job. And if they don't do a good job, I'd step in so fast. But no, they can't do anything without the approval of the President of the United States. Okay. <laughs> yo, yo. <laughs> yo, yo, yo. President's going to do what the President's going to do. <laughs> okay. Wait, sorry. I think that was actually the wrong video. Anyways, I'll explain the 10th <laughs> Amendment here. <laughs> okay. So the 10th, 10th Amendment, right? The powers that are not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So what does this mean? This means that if the Constitution does not grant the power to the federal government over something, then it's for the states and the people to decide. So some people here would say that this is probably the most important amendment. If the federal government obeyed it, the entire federal drug war as we know it would be impossible. So I wanted to kind of show you, but... That was the wrong video. Actually, Trump basically was saying that he doesn't know what the Tenth Amendment is, and uh, <laughs> and that somehow he has the authority to do what he wants to do, which violates the Tenth Amendment. <laughs> he's, the, he's the daddy that's going to spank the kids. I hope the kids behave, but if they don't, I'm going to step in so fast. <laughs> Absolutely. So the Ninth Amendment, right? And this is also very important for you to understand this is the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So what does this mean, right? Well, this means that just because a personal right is not specifically mentioned does not mean the federal government can infringe upon that right. So certainly the rights to use drugs are being attacked in this very way. Now, I want to show you a quick video of, of uh, our good old friend who we did an episode on a couple of times, a couple of shows ago, Tucker Carlson. Uh, and I apologize if we made Tucker look bad in that last episode, um, but he is fighting for drug users. And if you remember when we were talking about the Harrison Narcotics Tax Act and how that law took away doctor's ability to treat patients who were dependent on drugs just because it wasn't in the normal practice of medicine. Take a look at this. I want to show you good old Tucker Carlson is going to help us in our fight. All right. All right. American citizens have nothing at all. Everything that you thought you owned, very much including your own body, now belongs to the Democratic Party. Where you travel, who you speak to, where you live, what you say and write and think, All of this is now controlled by the party. And everything means everything, even your medical autonomy. This is funny because for decades they have told us, they have shrieked at us, that medical decisions can only be made between you and your personal physician. That is a sacred pact. Politicians have no right to tell doctors what to do. Hey, politicians, get your hands off my body. That'd be the handmaid's tale, remember? Turns out they didn't mean it. So... (laughs) 
right? Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he's completely yeah. he's completely on right on, on line with us, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. he has realized that addiction is a disease, right? As the American mm-hmm. Medical and American Psychiatric Association has determined, right? Yeah. So, as Tucker is saying, right, in moral terms. And this is what the drug war means, that it's the denial of self-ownership, right? Someone who can't decide what to put in himself does not own himself, Yeah. right? The yeah. logic of the drug war is that the government owns you. Absolutely. And Tucker told us that. Good job, Tucker Carlson. Thank you. Good job. Yep. Thank you. So nothing gives power to Congress to outlaw anything I consume. How did this happen? How did this happen? So I define this as a great manipulation and supporters who seriously lack knowledge. Absolutely. So here we go. In the early 20th century, right, states traditionally enjoyed exclusive police powers independent of federal authority to protect the quote-unquote health, welfare, safety, and morals of their citizens. And Mm. then we had the New Deal that was in the 1930s. And there was a case law that it was interpreting the Commerce Clause to give Congress powers to regulate interstate affairs that affected interstate commerce. And by the 1960s, cases that were coming out of the civil rights struggle gave Congress the right to regulate social policy in the states, right? So federal commerce power is now so expansive, right? That the individual states seem to have no discretion left to exercise their traditional police powers. Ironically, Republicans, they pushed for small government, but they created this war, right? Which drastically expanded the government. Think about this, right? Yes. Pick and choose. You know, they want less money towards helping people in need. Yep. Yep. And have spent over a trillion dollars on the longest war in American history, which is absolutely wonderful war on drugs. Absolutely. Absolutely. So U.S. Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell argues to end this war on drugs because it is too much money. Okay, not really, but not really, but this could be an (laughs) argument. Take a look. (laughs) Trillions more borrowing and trillions more spending when inflation is already sticking American families with higher costs. So apparently, <clears throat> tragedy <clears throat> and comedy really are two sides of the same coin. The tragedy is that Democrats want to inflict all this pain on middle class families. Here's the comedy they won't let Republicans have any say in this monstrosity, but they want our help raising, raising their credit card to make it happen. Democrats want Republicans to help them raise the debt limit so they can keep spending historic sums of money with zero Republican input and zero Republican votes. 
Hmm. And hmm. there you have it. Good job. Thank you. There you go, right. Rich. Yep. Yes, sir. <laughs> so the economic and the political costs, all right, of prohibition policies run deeper than the price tag, right, of largely ineffective policing interdiction. Yep. You know, the massive drug profits that are driven by high prices made it possible by illicit markets, right, that fund the Taliban and other anti-government forces. You know, the opium economy yeah. is the source of so many distortions, right? Including oh, yeah. inflation, as he had mentioned, speculation in real estate markets and the undermining of economic sectors that can provide an alternative to drug marketing. Yep. yep. What about those Bill of Rights that are argued exclusively for agendas, right? That's right. Second Amendment, argued extensively by Republicans. But is that the only amendment that matters? It seems <laughs> like it sometimes. Sometimes you know, it does. It seems to be the First Amendment with Christianity. Yep. All the other religions. Yep. And the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, right? Yep. <laughs> And it seems to be the one fought over the most. Why? So let's look at that, right? Let's we discussed the First Amendment, which only seems important, again, with what? Christianity. Yeah. Yes. So just going by the wording, right? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, not Christianity. That's right. <laughs> so the First Amendment and the Second Amendment are important, and they should be upheld, right? Everybody. But let's continue. Let's do it. Now, I will say the third doesn't really apply to what we're talking about here today. Mm -hmm. So we're going to move on to the fourth, right? What does the fourth say? The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, right? Supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Now, I want to tell you guys a quick story. Mm. Uh, I described this in my book. Okay, I experienced this process of my home being raided by a drug task force in 1999. I also had another one later in 2001, but the 1999 one revolved around a girl, okay, who was busted by her probation officer at home and she rolled over on us. Mm -hmm. Wanted to get a lesser sentence. Happens. Now, once they came through my door, I was presented with a warrant and See if this holds to the Fourth Amendment. So it requires governmental searches and seizures to be conducted with a search warrant, which was issued. Okay. Mm -hmm. I had the search warrant. It was sanctioned by probable cause, which is very questionable, as I'll describe here in a minute. And it was supported by an oath describing the place to be searched and persons or things to be seized, which it did. Now, the search warrant described the determination of, of the issuance based on facts that were identified by the drug user 
that were confirmed, <laughs> but had no probable cause related to drugs or guns. Mm. So she informed them that I drove a 1994 Chevy Corsica, which I did, where I worked, and that I arrived home around 8 a.m., which I did. <laughs> and I lived at the complex they raided, which I did. So this information was validated by the police, and it was used to confirm, based on her oath, that she was truthful. This, to me, I don't believe is probable cause. And I think we were experiencing an unreasonable search and seizure. Right. And the police were pissed. Right? <laughs> so on the search warrant, it specifically said that we had an arsenal of weapons. Arsenal. Which we did not. We didn't have a single weapon. And that we had massive quantities of methamphetamine, which we did not. They literally found a tiny little bindle that was in my wallet. And that's all that I had, aside from the paraphernalia that they found. <laughs> now, again, whether they were angry at us for not getting the bus that they were hoping for yep. or with the girl yep. who had lied about what they would find. Yep. We were treated so disrespectfully. It was absolutely insane. The guy's like searching through my stuff. He's spitting sunflower seeds in my clothes all over my wow. you know, bed and all kinds of stuff. I mean, I, I think that was kind Stigma. of uncalled for. You know what I mean? Of course. Yes. So warrants have become a, a mere bureaucratic <laughs> technicality, right? Yeah. Rubber yeah. stamped yeah. or often neglected altogether. All together. And that is actually what happened in 2002 and 2001 when I was caught by the task force um, that uh, were attempting to try to get somebody to buy drugs from me, which they never actually did. But they blocked us in, told me they had a search warrant to search my vehicles, search warrant to search my rooms, of course, which they did because they're the cops and they can do what they want. But there was never any search warrant. Right. No knock rates okay, have become a commonplace in modern American life. Yeah. So the Fourth Amendment of the United States, which guarantees, again, quote, against unreasonable searches and seizures and prohibits warrants on anything but probable cause, is probably one of the greatest casualties of this wonderful drug war that we're, we are currently in. So since the early 1970s, okay, almost all searches and seizures reaching the United States Supreme Court have been approved. Absolutely. The court has held, for example, that a search on an invalid warrant does not require any remedy so long as the police acted in quote-unquote good faith. Right. <laughs> which who decides yep. that theirs is better than yours absolutely Again, stigma yeah. can't be trusted can be trusted yep you know police may you know or people in a sense could be stopped in their cars or in their airports trains or buses and submitted to questioning and dog sniffs right yep police can search in open field without warrant or cause, even if it has no trespassing signs. Absolutely. Trespass is a criminal offense. They may also search garbage cans, of course, without cause, 
course, that's out on public property. If they have reasonable suspicion, the police can search our bodies, mobile homes, closed containers, as well as cars, right? Themselves let can me, be searched without a warrant. Yes, let me add this too, because back in 20, back in 2009, I worked at a, at a convenience store, a local convenience store that was open all night. So I got to spend a good amount of time with our local sheriff's deputies. And one of them in particular told me that he carries a book around because I asked all these questions in our late night conversations. And he told me that he carries a book around that has, he said, it's about this thick and I can get behind anybody I want and find a reason in that book to give probable cause and I can pull them over. We were talking about racial and and substance profiling, and this was his exact answer to me: "Is basically, I can choose to pull anyone over for whatever I want as long as I can find some technicality in this huge book to put down on paper." Yeah, as long as you can validate it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you know, I'm going to show you, let me show you a quick video real quick of um, a no-knock raid. No-knock raids. I mean, there's been stories, you know, a 92-year-old 90, woman was murdered and had drugs planted on her. You mm -hmm. know, men who shoot no-knock invaders are sentenced to death, right? Mm. Or if they're lucky, reduced to life. You know, in the state of California, yeah. you know, if you commit a residential burglary, that is a strikeable offense. Why? Because the potential for violence. If somebody's breaking into your house and you're not even aware of it, mm. you pull a gun with fear, you shoot the incoming person, it's fine if it's somebody that broke into your house, but if it's the right. police that are breaking in that you're not even aware of and right. you shoot them, then you could be sentenced to death, right? There's wow. uh, you know, children who are shot in the back, right? Family pets that are killed by laughing officers, right? As they mm -hmm. break into homes searching for drugs, you know, with the real crime, right? It is yep. possible to have an oath or affirmation backing the warrant, okay, which can actually describe the persons or things to be seized, right? In a murder case, Absolutely. right, a warrant can describe a bloody knife. Yep. Drug war warrants, they're typically too vague. Yep. Right. Yep. Your suspicion that a law is being that's broken, it. that's enough. That's it. That is absolutely it. That's absolutely it. Now, what the drug war has done to the Fourth Amendment, it's also done to the Sixth Amendment. 
Let me show you that real quick. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. You know, so for, you know, against standard crimes, like mm-hmm. murder, right, theft, rape, Okay, you know, again, it's perhaps possible to have trials reasonably mm-hmm. available to every suspect, but there's simply yeah. too many drug offenders, right? And yeah. no victims to serve as a reliable witness, right? So right. the standard of evidence has been lowered to the point where the, again, mere existence of enough cash, yep. a cop yep. say so, is enough yep. to convict. Absolutely. And seize all of that cash. The right to a lawyer is given. Mm-hmm. Now, in recognition of that fact, the definition of the enemy right, in the war against drugs has been highly expanded. Not only are drug sellers and drug users targets, so are their lawyers. Mm-hmm. Right? So criminal defense lawyers have increasingly come to expect their law offices to be searched, their yep. phones to be tapped, yep. right? and their offices bugged. Yep. Prosecutors frequently will they'll serve subpoenas on the defense lawyers prior to trial, requiring them to produce documents and testify about their clients before a grand jury. Well, you know, so having this driven a wedge between client and attorney. Right, which creates a disqualifying yep. conflict of interest at worst yep. and mistrust of the lawyer, at least. Absolutely. The prosecutor is then in a strong position to extract a guilty plea. So the courts okay, have upheld all of these practices, the effect of which is to deprive the accused of his only real defense. The Supreme Court okay, added a horrible rule right, in 1989 that federal authorities could freeze and later obtain the forfeiture of the assets of a person accused of a drug crime so that he would have no money with which to pay a lawyer. It's all stacked against. Yeah. It's all stacked against him from the start. Yeah. And how much of that we always have to go back to that that racial profile. We have to go back to those those laws after the emancipation of slavery, which said that if caught committing a crime, then you could own this other human being. And how many of our societies, men, I mean women as well, but how many of our societies, men? are being locked away in prisons for barely any evidence, convicted, completely convicted, and are doing life sentences, 20-year, 15-year sentences. And since our justice system and our corrections institution, I wish we'd even stop calling them that because we are not attempting to help correct anything. We We are just attempting to keep the cycle 
going. Because when you yeah. look at a family systematically, there will be more than one male person, more than more than one family member that will go in generation after generation after generation to prison and, and serve long sentences. Yep. And then we come out and we put them on the street and we never let that record. We never let you outrun that record. You, you know yourself how hard you had to fight in order to, to gain the recognition or the, even the ability to take the slightest, you know, uh, classes and, and different things to better your own life professionally. Yeah. So we're always going to stigmatize in all of this because we're taught systematically to trust the police they're here to serve and protect. I would say that it's more like 1% of police officers that sign up to serve and protect. And the majority of them are just narcissistic human beings that have come from their own trauma or whatever they're coming from. And they want to hold a badge, feel powerful and rule over somebody else. I'm not afraid to be honest. Yeah. And the, and the, you know, the crazy part is like the chart, like in California, we have, you know, possession for sales, mm -hmm. right? So you've got sales where they actually catch you usually selling to an undercover, but then they have the other charge of possession for sales, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Which in this today, possession charges in California are all misdemeanors now, right? But possession for sales or sales are still felonies. How do they confirm that you're possessing for sales? Right. You just have to have a lot, you know? Right. So you, you have to have, you know, if I have a, a you know, a quarter pound, you know, um, then I'm obviously selling. Uh, maybe I'm just using a lot. I mean, right. wouldn't you think that they would have to actually prove, maybe get somebody in there to prove that you were selling to them to get a possession for sales charge? But no, Absolutely. that's not the way yeah. it is. If you've got empty baggies, if you've got, you know, a scale, maybe I have a scale to confirm that I'm buying the right amount from my dealer. Right. We, <laughs> right? All, we all know that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. And also the crazy part too, is that tradition, right? That confidential conversations between a lawyer and a client cannot be, cannot be uh, divulged without right. the client's consent also seems headed for the basement of America, of the American Absolutely. legal system, right? Courts Absolutely. have held that because monitoring of conversations in jails and prisons is well known, mm -hmm. any attorney client conversations that are eavesdropped upon are fair game. There was a guy, his name was Manuel Noriega, who he barely spoke English, but after he was, I guess he was kidnapped in Panama and he was eventually thrown into the Miami jail. His phone conversations with his lawyers were monitored. A federal court found that he waived his rights by talking to his lawyers on the phone. That's right. That's right. Yep. So, yep. you know, again, you know, so then we come to the Fifth Amendment. Let's take a look at that. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces, or in the militia, when an actual service in the time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, 
nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. Mm. Mm. So the Fifth Amendment brings an interesting story. And I think we may have talked about this, but I'll bring this up again of Timothy Leary. Now, remember, okay, that it was believed by Congress that they didn't have the power to tell you that you couldn't consume something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because remember, back at that time, especially the Marijuana Tax Act and the laws that came about, it was a tax. And so Dr. Timothy Leary, he was a, again, renowned advocate of the psychedelic drug research accompanied by his daughter, his son, and two other people on, they were on an automobile trip from New York to Mexico and back, and they drove across the Texas-Mexico International Bridge where a U.S. Customs um, agent stopped them and they searched their car, discovering marijuana in the car and in Leary's daughter's possession. Mm. Now, Leary was indicted and it was under a subsection of the Marijuana Tax Act, right? And at his trial before the district court, district court, which resulted in his conviction, he admitted acquiring the marijuana in New York and driving with it to Texas then to the Mexican Customs Station, and then, of course, back to the United States. Now, the Marijuana Tax Act levied an occupational tax upon all those who deal in the drug, right, and required that the taxpayer register their name and their place of business with the IRS. Mm. Again, all this was overseen by the IRS. Mm-hmm. Timothy Leary contended that the Marijuana Tax Act denied him due process by compelling him to expose himself to a real and appreciable risk of self-incrimination. So though Leary was arrested for violating the Marijuana Tax Act, it was also illegal in the state of Texas to possess marijuana. So compliance under federal law would have provided self-incriminating evidence under state law. Yeah. So the Marijuana Tax Act was found to be unconstitutional. But of course, this was repealed by the U.S. Congress in the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act of 1970. Good old Richard Nixon. Good old Rich. <laughs> so the entire Bill of Rights, with the exception of you know a couple, have been shredded in the drug war. So... If one abolishes man's freedom to determine their own consumption, one uh, does indeed take all freedoms away. Mm-hmm. Now, what about the Seventh mm. Amendment? In suits at common law where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of common law. So what does this mean? Right. So I talked, I I don't know if I talked on this one before about civil asset forfeiture, Mm -hmm. but it's Mm -hmm. important to recognize, right. That there is no criminal hearings for the vast majority of the forfeiture victims. Right. Okay. The property is seized through civil litigation, but 
Since the property itself and not the owner is on trial, the Bill of Rights offers no protection to this. So there's no right to a trial. So mm. if a person wants to reclaim his confiscated property, he has to ask for a trial. Now, if the court rules that the property be returned, the, cover- the government can ask for another trial since double jeopardy, <clears throat> as we call it, doesn't yep. apply. Right. Or they can return the property, of course, if they want them to pay hundreds of thousands, maybe a million dollars in fines. Right. Again, the entire Bill of Rights has been shredded in the drug war. Right? If one yep. abolishes man's freedom to determine his own consumption, one does indeed take all freedoms away. Yes. Now, yes. next on our list is the Eighth Amendment, which guarantees that excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines are imposed, nor <laughs> cruel and unusual punishment is inflicted. Mm. All right. <laughs> now I want to show you a video of our current president, Joe Biden. First, we have to join together to ensure the drug dealers are punished swiftly, surely, and severely. And in line with what the president is calling for, we have to hold every drug user accountable. Because if there were no, uh, no drug users, there would be no appetite for drugs and there'd be no market for them. In a nutshell, the president's plan doesn't include enough police officers to catch the violent thugs, not enough prosecutors to convict them, not enough judges to sentence them, and not enough prison cells to put them away for a long time. That's why right now, six out of every 10 criminals who are arrested on drug charges have their cases dropped. That's why we think the president should triple, triple the commitment that he's made tonight for police, prosecutors, and judges for our cities and our states. I wanted to show that because Biden is no different. Yep. All right. Yep. Drug yep. users. Absolutely. Again, criminalized. Now, when we look at the Eighth Amendment, it says unusual or cruel and unusual punishments and is inflicted. Drug users. Well, surely yep. any punishment is cruel for a victimless crime. Absolutely. Conservatives now might say that this is a liberal reading of the amendment. Of course. At the time of the Bill of Rights was adopted, okay, prisons, as we know them, they hardly existed. Mm-hmm. And the notion okay, of imprisoning someone for 10 years for growing hemp yep. would probably have been seen as quite cruel and mm-hmm. quite unusual. Yep. <laughs> so in the 1970s and the 1980s, Congress passed mandatory minimum laws which reduced the discretion of judges in handing out sentences. So almost all such federally determined sentences are for drugs or guns. Mm. Now, we talked about the Ninth and the Tenth Amendment. So the first 10 amendments to the Constitution make up the Bill of Rights. Right, James Madison wrote the amendments, which list specific prohibitions on governmental power in response to, and of course, this was from several states, for greater constitutional protection 
for individual liberties. Now, the Bill of Rights was strongly influenced by the Virginia Declaration of Rights that was written mm-hmm. by George Mason. Other, pro- other precursors included the English documents such as the Magna Carta, the Petition of the Right, the English Bill of Rights, and the Massachusetts Body of Liberties. Now, the House approved 17 amendments. Now, of these, the Senate approved 12, which were sent to the states for approval. And of course, this was in August of 1789. 10 amendments were approved or ratified. Virginia's legislature was the final state legislature to ratify the amendments. And this was approved on December 15th of 1791. I'm going to show you guys a quick video, and this one is just for fun. (laughs) We won with poorly educated. I love the poorly educated. (laughs) (laughs) I like like the poorly educated. And all the applause when people said it, right? I know. (laughs) Now, why would he say this? Okay. There is a reason. There is. And it is because he needs uneducated to continue, well, currently now, to continue pumping money into his cause of not caring about America. Right. And I believe that he has sort of proven this, right? Because, because, okay, to care about America doesn't mean I care about the people who support me or agree with me, but instead, America and Americans. Yes. Yes. Everybody. This is where we stand in our country today is that it is a me society and and where it is just simply like that. It's like I'm going to support these people that think like me and talk like me. And there's no there's no error. There's no there's no space for people to disagree anymore and still remain in 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 relationship or close relationship i mean it's just like we've got to be broken open to break out of this this i format that we are in and it starts with these you know because we still haven't even gotten to and i think we should really do a part three of this where we really get into the emotional side and the trauma that is born out of what's happening with all of this stigma, and especially when we talk about this area where it's drug abuse, the families of, you know, abusers, what's happening to these children, what, you know, I don't even think as a country, we truly understand how much our actions, the environment play into our children as, as zero to seven years old. We still, you know, there are some that still have that mindset of they're not going to remember this. You were too young to remember that. And it's not the memory. It's what's happening to trauma in the body. And I think that this is a great, you know, would lead into an amazing interview about really we're dealing with a society of traumatized human beings. And again, we look at these, you know, we look at these laws and again, going back to unintended consequences, you know, and yeah, they're so political. I mean, everything is so political. And I want to show you guys a video real quick. 
um, of something I came across and it just sort of reminded me again of how politically based and how people applaud for destroying people's lives. Mm. Take a look at this. I ask each American to be strong in your intolerance of illegal drug use and firm in your commitment to a drug-free America. United, together, we can see to it that there's no sanctuary for the drug criminals who are pilfering human dignity and pandering despair. And now, Paula, if you and your colleagues will join Nancy and me, we'll get on with the signing of that bill, making it the law of the land. I mean, I, that's what I, that's what I thought when I saw that video, you know, I'm going yep. like, wow, all these people, this was, this was of course when he was putting these laws in place and even, you know, mandatory minimum stuff was coming in yep. and all these people applauding and him smiling and praising yep. that. And yeah. how, many, how many people's lives did they destroy as a result? Still, of that? still destroying to this day, yep. still destroying because yep. of, 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 of just this enactment. Yeah. You know, uh, of criminalizing. And again, how do we begin to build a stigma as we put the responsibility not on, you know, a disease where we don't understand that this is a choice, you're making a choice. And that runs in the mind and the heart and through the and pumps through the blood of every user, because it's not only other people that have that negative stigma you're talking about human beings that are walking around locked in this disease that have that stigma within as well and they beat themselves up why am i not strong enough to overcome this why can't i just stop why can't i be what you know some other entity has built up for me to be and check all these boxes that make me a good human regardless of even trying to understand, I'm so grateful. And I think this is, this is the positive thing that has come out of this opioid epidemic is that we have been able to stand up more and speak louder about the study of what addiction truly is. And it is a trauma response. It is a self-medicating for mental health disorders, which also a lot stem from past trauma and all of it just originates in everything that we've talked about in these last two episodes. Yeah. You know, you know, and as I was kind of searching through videos, I was looking for really anybody that was at least in today's age, really fighting for changes that were happening. And I want to show you guys another video real quick. And again, as I was saying, we aren't political um, and you can agree or disagree with things that are being done, but I want to show you guys a quick video real quick of a Republican, Rand Paul. 55 years in prison for selling marijuana. Now you might be saying, well, that's terrible. He was selling it. 55 years in prison. You can kill somebody in Kentucky and get out 12. <laughs> so we've gone too far. Why do I bring this up? Because three out of four people in prison are black or brown. You say, well, they're committing crimes. If you look at drug use, white kids are making these mistakes too. We just have disproportionately locked people up of color. 
that someone who used marijuana when they were 20 years old should be in jail for 15 years. I also think the war on drugs has disproportionately affected our African-American community. And what we need to do is make sure that the war on drugs is equal protection under the law and that we don't unfairly incarcerate another generation of young African-American males. In Ferguson, for every 100 African-American women, there are only 60 African-American men. Drug use is about equal between white and black, but our prisons, three out of four people in prison are black or brown. I think something has to change. I think it's a big thing that our party needs to be part of. And I've been a leader in Congress on trying to bring about criminal justice reform. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for saying it. And that's the reality. I mean, again, I love hearing anybody, I mean, whoever it is, you know, admitting to that and saying that and that we do need to make changes now. There wasn't obviously any solutions that were offered in that, but at least it was, it was um, stated. Absolutely. And hopefully again, I mean, as he said, um, and I'll have to do a little research in terms of what he is actually proposing in Congress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I will, we will definitely, and again, we are going to do another episode on this topic and maybe two more episodes who know. Yeah. We could talk about this for years. We could. (laughs) (laughs) The honest truth is we could in all honesty. And, 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 you know, I've, I have gotten to be, you know, and there's so much in my state that, that, you know, as who I am that I, I can't get on board with, but I want you to know that when this opioid epidemic really kicked off and I um, was, was getting, um, I was in recovery my first year, second year. Our attorney general for the state that I live in here in North Carolina actually came down to the places where people were in recovery and began to ask. And he began to study, you know, what was truly going on. And because of that, you know, I've gotten to stand with our state in making some great strides in this decriminalization, if you will, of, of the disease of addiction and, and really trying to help rehabilitate other human beings. But to do that, we have to heal trauma. And the first thing we got to do is stop committing acts that are traumatizing to large groups of, of, of human beings. Yep. And so I think for, for Rand there, you know, before a solution can be had, it does have to be stated. And it just, it does me good to hear a politician stating the obvious. And it almost, and it sounded like he was genuine. Yeah, for, for real. It really did. And it really did. Now I want to finish this with Biden. And probably one of the greatest issues that I had with Biden was the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act, which is also mm. sort of today known as the 1994 Crime mm, Law, yep, yep. was the result of years of work by Biden, who oversaw the Senate Judiciary Committee at the time, mm. and as well as other Democrats. So watch this video, and then I'll explain to you guys what this actually did. So we decided that it's time not only for us to get involved, but become cost-effective. And we found out, Madam President, that the build and maintain boot camps is more effective and cheaper than the build and maintain prisons. 
And we found out that of, of 840,000, 850,000 people in state prison systems, 160,000 of them were first-time nonviolent offenders. Now, why should they be taking up space in a prison system requiring those folks to pay 30,000 bucks a year to keep them there? Why not put them in a boot camp? Why not put them in a Quonset hut? Why not put them behind barbed wire instead of a wall that's 20 feet high and three feet thick and costs tens of thousands of dollars to build? These are people who are not a risk to the community, but they deserve to be punished. <laughs> Contradiction terms. <laughs> no, he was actually talking about, you know, ways to reduce the funding by prisons, keeping them locked up though, right? Mm -hmm. This was an attempt to address a big issue in America, of course, at the time, right? Crime, particularly violent crime mm -hmm. had been, and this had, of course had been rising for decades and it started in the sixties, but of course, continuing on and off through the 1990s in part due to that wonderful crack cocaine epidemic politically, yep. the legislation, right. Was also you know, a chance for the Democrats, including the recently elected President Bill Clinton, mm -hmm. to wrestle the issue of crime away from the Republicans. And polling suggested Americans were very concerned about high crime back then. So Biden received or re revealed, I guess, in the, in the politics of the 1994 law, bragging after he passed that the liberal wing of the Democratic Party was now for 60 new death penalties, 70 enhanced penalties, and 100,000 cops and 125,000 new state prison cells. Mm. The law imposed tougher prison sentences at the federal level and encouraged states to do the same thing. So it provided funds for states to build more prisons, aimed to fund 100,000 more cops and backed grant programs that encouraged police officers to carry out more drug-related arrests. And of course, this was an escalation of the war on drugs. And of course, Bill Clinton signed this into law. Mm. So as we can see, politically, they're all fucked up. Oh. It doesn't matter if you're Republican. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat. They're all fucked up, right? Absolutely. Again, it's all agenda-based. Everything is. Everything. Everything. You know, as we kind of pointed out with, you know, we were talking about Nixon, then we went into Reagan, then we went into Bush. Um, you know, that continued pressure of war on drugs, it didn't end there. Yeah. You know, yeah. and um, Clinton, you know, now I will say that, you know, when we got into Obama, Obama was much more about treatment. He even admitted mm -hmm. to using drugs when he was younger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, Bill Clinton smoked weed, but didn't inhale. Didn't oh, inhale. Fucking, yeah, that's, that's right. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, dude. Like, how What's do you even point? smoke it and not inhale? I mean, you right. got to breathe in. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, uh, that is so stupid. I know. <laughs> See, again, <laughs> politicians like, you know, treating people as they're stupid. It's stupid. Know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, when do we fire up the human agenda? You know, that's the agenda that I'm ready to see. And I hope to be a part of the spearhead for that agenda where we actually begin to open people up. Because at this point, Eric, I mean, 
there's so much of the herd mentality that people, and I think that's why our system has just gone so haywire at this point, because it's time to awaken and think for ourselves. And until things get so ridiculous, you know, we want to be thought for, we want to be told what to do. We want to be told who's right and who's wrong and who's the villain, who's the good guy. But the thing about it, people, is it's time to awaken to our own thought processes, to realize how we feel about things, to realize that we can follow our hearts and our our minds and that we can trust ourselves to do, you know, the right thing for our fellow human being and for ourselves. And I think that, you know, I, I, I don't think I just feel in my soul that that's where we are at this point in history. And we got to admit things have just gotten so freaking ridiculous that, you know, I remember just the other day, I'm trying to explain to someone who's very close to me, a young person about a, a relationship that's so toxic and yet he doesn't want to hear that. Yeah. It's like, you know, you can explain it a million times, but it's like, I just want this person to tell me yeah. what I already know, but I just want them to tell me so I can now have the excuse to think for myself, yeah. be for myself. Yeah. I mean, we looked at this whole, you know, process, I mean, go and, you know, last week. And then of course, you know, with the stuff that we've talked about today, yeah, you know, as United States citizens, you know, and again, and again, I don't, I mean, whatever your thought process is on this, right. they yeah. violate the constitution, whether you yeah. like it or not, you know, so many of these laws violate our rights, the bill of rights, yeah. you know, within our constitution. When you look at, again, comparatively to the Volstead act, right. Alcohol prohibition, there is not much difference within corruption, within crime, within murder that we yep. all bitch about today with the drug war, all the yep. violence, all the murder, all the you know chaos and things like that. Yep. And all those same things are happening, not because of the drug, but because of the legality behind the drug. Again, yeah, so. price goes up. Money is always supreme. I mean, always. We see that everywhere. Everybody yep. wants lots of money. So when the yep. black market booms, because of our laws, right? yep. they become they become the the perfect playground for murder. Absolutely. You know, you Absolutely. steal my dope. Yep. I kill you. you Absolutely. Know? Um, yep. You know, I see you having large quantities of dope. I yep. want it. I got to get rid of you. Yep. It makes sense. Not not in the light that I would ever do that, but <laughs> but you know, just from a common sense standpoint. Mm-hmm. it all fits in, you know? So, yeah. you know, the flip side of it all is that if you legalize drugs, which I know a lot of people are completely opposed, then you can regulate it. You can have more control over it because it's illegal. The, there's nobody looking into it to be able to say, Hey, what is it that we're taking? Right. So why, you know, it's all coming from Mexico and all this stuff's coming, you know, yeah. crazy places that, that, is killing everybody. Absolutely. You know, and that's why I say Absolutely. something needs to be done. The, the, we've, you know, we've spent this 50 years locking people up. Yep. And we have more drugs today. Than Absolutely. We've ever had. More know? addiction per capita. 
than so ever. How effective is it? I mean, that's the question everybody needs to ask is that, you know, is it working? Yeah. I, I, I can get drugs any day. <laughs> it's a radical idea and to legalize something because we're, because you have this idea in your head that the world's going to get lawless. Well, let me um, wake you up to this fact. The world's freaking lawless. 100%. You feel me? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, that whole world, that whole world is lawless. Absolutely. Everything within it, you know? Absolutely. And, it's uh, a war zone. And it ain't going away. No. Unless we do something different. Absolutely. I mean, the, last thing, that, the last thing that this, the, the Mexican mafia, you know, these people, the last thing they want is for us to legalize it. Absolutely. And Absolutely. So we can say a fuck you to them by legal. Yeah, absolutely. Because all we're doing is making them rich. That's absolutely. That's all we're doing. Yeah. They're, you know, sure you arrest people periodically, but you're not getting the people that are actually the big people. Never. You know? Never. They're, they're still sitting out there, you know, because they send in their goons. They send yeah. in the drug, drug addicts that are needing dope that we yes. sh- really should be helping that need help. But Absolutely. they're the ones that get busted. I mean, I've had yeah. so many friends of mine that got involved in all that stuff, right? No, yeah. Their habit. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. Uh, you know, and they're not the kingpins. <laughs> no, I never sold dope for profit. I wish I could say I had, but I never sold dope for profit. It was pure survival. Absolutely. And, and think about what happens. And I can't, I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking more about this next week. Think about what happens when we take the cartel down, not by pure violence, but by stopping it, you know, the black market sale of these drugs. And, and, and what happens to these countries where the cartels have basically taken over? Mm-hmm. That becomes then a country that has less violence, a country that is, that is less, you know, bribed, that is less crooked, that is now there's, there's no point. And so what happens now that if we that if these people that are escaping those situations every day didn't have to escape their countries anymore. Mm-hmm. So many people don't necessarily come here because this is exact this is just where they want to be. They come because there's no safety where they are. Right. And it I can't I'm looking forward to it. It's Look funny the to argument it. of the Republicans too, like with guns, you know, like yeah. you know, if we if we uh, make guns illegal or we make them harder to get, they're still going to get it. Same argument with drugs. Exactly. You can you can make it all illegal, which it is, but yeah. people are still out there doing it, obviously, because they're freaking dying in record numbers. So yeah. People are obviously doing it, you know. And even so, the ones that are being called o- overdosing, it's not always overdose. It's It could be what the drug is stepped on with. Because, yeah. again, like you said, you can't ask. There is no pamphlet that comes with this bundle of heroin. How much fentanyl's in this? Hey, right. who knows? Right. You know, yeah. it's buyer beware. I mean, I always tell everybody that you know, if you if you relapse, you know, make sure you ask your dealer for um, you know the, the the pamphlet like you get at the pharmacy, so I can kind of yeah. tell you the ingredients. You know, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, hey, I want to thank everybody for this another episode of of walk a mile in my shoes. I am really Absolutely. enjoying this stuff. This is, this is a lot of fun. 
Um, yeah. Although, I mean, I, I like the fact that we're talking about something, especially with this topic is very near and dear to my heart. Yes. Um, too, man. And uh, I, I definitely, I think we should do another episode next week on this oh, yeah. topic. Yeah. Um, you got anything you want to want to shout out? Yeah, man, just, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to next week. We're going to dive into more of the emotional part, the trauma responses and how all of this has traumatized an entire generation. So the very young people that we complain about and and, and don't, you know, and, and let's try to understand these human beings and what this has meant to their lives and how this trauma has spread out and will continue to spread out until we do. And, you know, become a part of the Walk a Mile movement. You know, let us know. That it, you know, what what shoes can we walk in in these next episodes? And, and yeah, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you need. So don't be afraid to leave your comments. Um, reach out to us um, on either one of our podcasts, um, even the High Wall Clean podcast. You know, make sure that you check that out. But what were you thinking? LA Talk Radio with Eric and Marilla McCoy. And be sure to visit me over on the Transgender Mentor YouTube channel. And recovery soul food because really we're human beings in the world trying to make a difference and we want to be sure to walk a mile in your shoes in order to be a difference and make that difference absolutely. so thanks right. so much well, eric absolutely thank episode, you man. and uh and again i want to thank everybody for watching and we yeah. look forward to next week we'll see you Always. then yeah <laughs>